So Revelation chapter 16, and then we'll focus on uh, chapter 17. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go, pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured, uh, poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came up on the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues uh, uh, in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming this, like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there never uh, such as had never been since man was on the earth, so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. And the 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality, and with the wine of whose sexual morality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and seven horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. 
And on her head was, forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs or witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. It is called for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, that is an eighth, that belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive royal authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw... They and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make war. Uh, they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. <laughs> Chapter 17 is a, it's an amazing vision, right? I mean, to, if, you, if you can picture what's going on as he's describing it, as you get that story, um, it's crazy. It's, 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 a, it's amazing. Um, of this woman, of, of the beast, but essentially you have this woman. You have, uh, if you will, this hot prostitute riding on a red beast, a red beast with, uh, with seven different, different heads and ten horns, right? And here's this woman as she's clothed in, in purple and in scarlet and with, with golds and jewelry and pearls. I mean, she's, she's attractive. She's a prostitute. She's a hot prostitute riding on this red beast with seven horns, and, and everyone wants her, right? Uh, the kings of the earth want her. The powers of the earth want her. Even all the dwellers of the earth are, are drunk with her wine, right? Um, she's hot, and they want her. She's, she's attractive. She's riding on this beast. Uh, she's seducing everyone. Uh, the passage goes on. It tells us more about this beast and the beast as it fights against the lamb. Um, the ten horns with it fighting against the lamb, but can't get it done, and they're conquered. And then the beast and the ten horns that, that she'd been riding on turn on the, on the woman, turn on the hot prostitute, if you will, and they murder her. Um, 
They don't just murder her. Uh, they uh, devour her. Uh, they, they tear off her, her purple and scarlet robes. They desolate her. They rip off uh, the jewelry, leaving her naked, right, the passage says. And then they devour her flesh. If you're picturing the vision, that's what you're, you're picturing, her flesh being, being consumed by them. And then what's left of her, they burn up with fire. All right. now, now that's a vision, right? Um, that's, that's crazy. You know, didn't expect to see that one uh, in the Bible. Um, all right, but, but what does this have to do with Jesus? Right? Maybe we didn't expect it to see here. Why, why is this here? Why is Jesus telling us about this? Because Jesus gave this vision for uh, his servants to know what's happening. Right? So if you, if you see a woman wearing purple and red riding on a seven-headed beast, then you know this time it's coming. You've got to watch out, right? Um, uh, it's, it's a vision. It's given uh, symbolically for us to understand the things that it's representing, for us to understand uh, what's happening now. From the time that it's applied to, uh, John, to, to John, to all Christ's servants, then to the, the seven churches in Revelation that he wrote to, plus the whole uh, church all up until the point where, uh, where Christ returns. Um, it's symbolic. It's symbolic about uh, seduction how we're seduced away from the gospel, how we're seduced away from Christ by other things that we long for, or to put it as a question, uh, if you will, the question this way, uh, what do we think satisfies? What do we look for to satisfy us and bring fulfillment? What do you think will bring satisfaction to your life? A prostitute riding on a red-headed beast with seven heads. Clearly, that's what the passage tells you. The Bible's not wrong. That's what you're actually looking for. That's <laughs> a symbol, all right? Are you, are you talking? That's a symbol. It's a symbol of, of the things that, that we want, the things that seduce us, uh, that are appealing to us, be that uh, money or fame or power, um, just the stuff that we can have and, and rest our life in, be it, be it sex or, or entertainment or approval or respect from other people or, or whatever forms that idolatry takes that lures us away from Christ, this is what she's representing, this woman. Um, maybe it's right now doing well in school. It's good to do well in school. I hope you work hard in your tests and your midterms and kids, kids great. But, but, but that can become an idol for us too. That we're like, this, what's going to make me good in other people's eyes and my own eyes is doing well enough on the test. It's when people ask me how's it go, I can say, yeah, we're pretty well. Notice, notice the plus after my A, right, on this. Um, or maybe, you know, all right, school, whatever, but, but you're concerned for what happens after this. The reason, the reason I'm working so hard on school is so that I get into the right program, the right major to get the right job that I want, to make the money I want, to have the position I want, to have the comfortable life that I want, um, the respect of people that I want, or even, even myself. Um, Again, that's some of what's being symbolized here. <laughs> or maybe it's, maybe it's finding the right person, right? The right person to fit, spend the rest of your life with. And I hope you find that person. Um, that's, that's, but that can become an idol for you. If you're like, finding that person is going to be what satisfies me. And if I, if I can't find it, I can't find it now that I'm, I'm unhappy with everything else, or I have to find some other thing apart from Christ that maybe will bring that to me. Um, or even following that person. You're like, this is what my life is now about. I've got to hold on to this. I've got to preserve this. This is what will make me uh, complete and satisfied. Um, 
leaving the law or following that idol. Uh, maybe it's finding the, the right person for the rest of your life or, or at least enjoying bouncing around from one to the other as you're, as you're looking for that person, right? Or just enjoying, enjoying those, uh, those relationships. That's what satisfies. So you say, listen, forget all that. What matters to me in my life now is, is enjoying it. I have these days. I don't know what comes before. I don't know what's going to come after. Um, I want to. I want to enjoy this. Uh, having great friends who care about me that I get to spend time with. That's good. I want you to have that. Um, but don't let it be the thing that lures you away from Christ. That, that fun is my idol for now. What consumes me? Living in the moment, and making the most of it. Um, there's various different ways that we're seduced away from the gospel by what we think will be satisfying for us. Maybe it will be just for a time. But the truth be told, or at least the truth that the Bible uh, would tell to you, Jesus is the only one that fully uh, satisfies. Uh, we're made for a relationship with God and, and, and nothing else can fill that completely. Um, but it's Jesus who takes our sin on himself, removes it to reconcile us to God, to restore us to that relationship. And it's Jesus who promises to, to make all things new, to make all things right and perfect forever. And not only does he promise that he's the only one who can accomplish it. And he does for us to find our full our satisfaction in him. He fills us with his love and gives us life but he's the only one that fully satisfies. And part of what this passage is helping us see is that uh, being satisfied in Jesus also means not going after the woman, or not going after money or power or riches or wealth or grades or whatever for, for that to be our idol. Right? We'd, we'd like to just have both. Right? Why can't we? Why can't we just have both? Um, and we were a consumeristic culture where, where every desire, every want that we have, should be able to be fulfilled, right? Or just find a different way that lets me have both things uh, that I want. We'd love to have uh, all of our desires um, this way. Listen, in the, in the passage, in the story, right, the hot prostitute she offers some satisfaction. People are enjoying being being drunk in their lust for her, but it only lasts for a time. Uh, it ends with her being devoured and burned, and destroyed, and murdered. Um, this is what it's symbolic of for us. All right, you see this in, in verses 6 and 7. We'll, we'll go through the whole passage, but I want you to see it in, uh, in 6 and 7, right? John says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery, this woman of the beast and, and, and so forth, right? Um... Think about this, there's other ways to interpret it, but, um, but the Apostle John thinks she's hot. Um, he's amazed at her. And I think there's multiple sides of it. There's also, there's also a fear of her. Um, but here she is, um, arrayed out and looking good, riding on this beast, uh, and he's marveling at her, the way that later says others marvel after, after the beast. Um, he's, he's also uh, amazed in the sense of, a, I think, other connections in Scripture of, of fear of what would happen. Uh, the, the golden cup looks, looks nice, but it's also the, um, filled with her abominations and purities, and her, uh, she's drunk with the blood of the saints, uh, which is certainly fearful John. But, but if this is what part of what we see in John, then, then I'm going to start saying just, just don't think that you would never be seduced. 
I'm like, yeah, I know some people really do build their life after those things, and, and that's sad for them, and think, that's not going to happen to me. Um, if John is, is even seeing this vision uh, marveling at her, don't, don't think that there's not reason for you to be concerned. Uh, but also, you're not just left in that place of, of fear of, of what she could do to you, or how it consumes your life, and then you're left without hope. The mystery of what all this is representing, of what it means, is told. Uh, it's explained in order for it to be uh, understood, particularly for the purpose of us realizing um, how we're, we're being seduced and realize who's doing it um, and understanding where that, where that leads you. We might turn away from it and see Christ and what he offers. Uh, it's like Proverbs, how it talks about uh, to, the, to the young man to watch out for the bit forbidden woman. Uh, the adulteress with her smooth words, right, luring you, you in. Uh, because her path, it would say, uh, the path that leads down to her house uh, leads to destruction. Uh, her, her bed opens to Sheol or some other things like that in Proverbs. So to go through the passage in, in three different parts and kind of following along with the, uh, with the order of the verses and the, the, ask this question, what satisfies and, See how this answers it. Uh, the first thing we see about this woman, we're, we're, we're told that she's alluring, or we see her allurements uh, decked out in purple, red, gold, um, holding the, the cup of the wine, uh, and everyone going after her. Um, whether the picture appeals to you or not, she's alluring, right? All, all the, the dwellers of the earth are longing for her. She's alluring. I think fishing is fascinating. Um, I don't really like to fish. Um, I get kind of bored. I'd rather go, like, run around out in the water or, or play around and just continuing casting the same thing and then reeling it back in and casting the same thing. Um, but there's things about fishing that I think are, are fascinating, uh, and, and one of those things are the lures. Right? If, you're, if you're a fisherman, sometimes you're using real bait to catch fish, but a lot of the time uh, you're using all these different kind of lures. And a fisherman's got the tackle box, and you open it up, and... If you're really into fishing, you've got different tackle boxes for different kind of fishing and different kind of places you'll, that you'll go to. And it's all about using the right lure. So you've got the wrong kind of, wrong kind of lure on there. You can cast all day, and you're not going to get a bite. Um, if you put the right thing on there, if you know what the fish are looking for, if you know what they want, you get that out there, and you know how to, how to tweak it the right way as you pull it on along, get the strike, you're reeling that baby in. You're having, you're having a good day. You're going to fill up, <coughs> fill up your thing, right? Um, getting the fish is always knowing about the right lure to use. Uh, and it's the lure that looks like what they want. Looks, looks just like what they want. But it's not. That's how you get them. Uh, this is the woman. Uh, in this passage, the woman, the, the hot prostitute, uh, if you will, she's a lure trying to catch you. She's the Lord trying to catch her, and you would love for her to catch you. Oh, you're, you're just caught. You're dragged in. But, oh, look, this is, this is what, what in too many ways you want. You get to drink her wine. Um, but it wouldn't satisfy you for very long. It ends badly uh, for her and for, for you. And if you don't want her to catch you, you need to recognize who she is. Um, helpful in this passage. It doesn't look this way when you're just, uh, you know, going about your life. And this passage is straight because she's got a big sign with her name on her forehead, right? So you can recognize her. <coughs> um, <coughs> uh, written on her forehead was a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, 
mother of prostitutes and earth abominations, right? That's, that's who she is. Or, or late at the end, you're told um, uh, the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Um, she's Babylon the Great. She's, she's the great city. Um, Babylon, this is always, Revelation is always bringing rich Old Testament imagery into every vision that, that it describes for us to understand some of that. Um, Babylon through the Old Testament, great, a powerful empire in history. A great, powerful empire, opulent empire, wealthy as all get out. Um, and the enemy of God's people. Right? Babylon scripture is... <coughs> Wealthy, uh, opulent, great, powerful empire, but the enemy of God's people, though God's people are often in exile inside of her. Right? They're in Babylon, in exile, called, uh, called out of her. Um, so every material thing that you could want back in that day, oh, you could find it in Babylon. Roll down the streets of Babylon, it's there. You know, like we've got our malls now, but I mean, you could roll down the streets of Babylon, whatever, whatever you're thinking, whatever you'd like, if you're browsing through her catalog, you're going to find some things you're interested in. Uh, it, it, it's appealing. Uh, it looks good. The purple, the scarlet, the gold, jewels, pearls of the, of the woman's clothing, uh, it's rich. Um, and look through her catalogs, you get drunk with it, right? You start to see these things as you walk down her streets, and, and you want those things. You want that lifestyle. You'd love to live in, in that house with that kind of yard, with those kind of uh, decorations, uh, with these many people to, to help you out uh, in things. We get drunk in seeing it. And it has expansive influence. Babylon's empire stretched uh, wide, right, like here. The kings of the earth um, are after her. Um, it's the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality uh, with this woman. Uh, even, even those who, who dwell, the dwellers of the earth. There's an expansive influence of those who are, who are jumping on that lure. Um, who, who, are, who are biting for it because, yeah, that's satisfaction. That's what I want. It seems that way for a while. But she remains uh, the enemy of God, though she thinks that she's supreme. This is who the woman is. She's Babylon the Great, right? She's, she's Babylon. So... If you're thinking about a trip, trip to Turkey in that area of the country, that's, what, that's who she is. It says on the forehead, that's, right, that's the symbol. Um, the, the vision is telling us more than that. It's not a particular place, right? Uh, it's not a particular place. It's, it's not America. There's ways where more and more we look a little bit uh, similar to this. Um, it's not New York City, right? Cause it's a great city that has dominion over the whole world. Um, you can see ways where that would fit. You go to New York, there's, there's lots of things that, about that lifestyle that are appealing. They're alluring. It'll feel great to be able to live in an apartment, in the city, everything that, that, uh, that you could want all around you. Um, it's not New York. It's not America. It's not a particular place. Um, I, I think we've already said how you know who she is. How you recognize her. That's how you recognize her. She offers what you want. She doesn't fully satisfy. Or just she offers what you want, but she's not Jesus. And you find that as you pursue that, that you pursue those things, you're, you're lured away from, from Jesus. It has lots of different expressions, lots of different times, lots of different, different ways it's expressed. Um, by the way, that's why I jokingly 
or how seriously. Uh, I said the other week that, that FSU football is the beast, right? Uh, because there's times that FSU football is alluring to my heart's idolatry. Um, that FSU football is sexy and it's successful, and I, I want that, right? And the, the feelings that I want of power and success and accomplishment, the team gets done for me on the field, and they represent me, and I feel good, right? Um, it's fun if it just stays on, on that level, but not when I'm kind of basing my worth or myself or, or lured all into that um, away from Christ or more so uh, than in Christ. Um, that has all kind of different expressions for us. Right? The same is true for, for good grades. Good grades are good when it's offering what satisfies and, it, uh, and, and what you want, um, but it's, it's not uh, it's pulling you away from Christ then you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. It's become the woman for you. I want for you to have good friends. I want RUF to be a great place of community for you, and I want you to have lots of great friends outside of RUF that you're spending time with and that you value and that value you. Uh, but if you're building your life around that, uh, being, being what makes you happy, and with, without it you can't survive, um, it, it's become the woman uh, for you. Finding the right person, being with lots of different people, whatever. Every form of seductive idolatry is a woman. Purple, red, gold, jewels, pearls, riding on that beast, it's a woman. All of her seduction, holding the glass of wine uh, to allure you and to uh, cause you to get drunk off of all that she's offering. She's alluring. A woman is alluring. Those idolatries are alluring to your hot heart. The gospel? Not so alluring. Right? Um, there's an appeal to the gospel, but the gospel is not, it's not seductive to us. Um, we shouldn't try to make it uh, alluring. Uh, to put it poorly, that would be dressing Jesus up like a whore. Um, that's not how we should be trying to uh, convey the gospel. Scripture talks about it as, a, as an open statement of the truth. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's an open statement of the word of truth. We're not trying to trick anyone. Not, not able to. Not just offering. Hey, if you believe these things, your life is really going to go well, and it'll be happy for you. Yeah, there's ultimate satisfaction, but the gospel's not alluring. What, the, the spirit's powerful in it. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says we're sinful. We're wrong. I'm like, anybody tell me we're wrong? That's not alluring. To me, right? The gospel tells us we're we're wrong. It tells us we're blind. We can't see the world in front of us. It tells us we're dead. We don't have any spiritual uh, life in us apart from God. We're rebels who hate God and deserve condemnation. It says that we can never uh, fix ourselves or, or make things better. It says we're not good enough. Um, and, and it says that God chose to love us in all that ugliness of our sin, in our blindness, to love us and make us uh, alive in him. Now the gospel says that, that, we're, uh, that we're so messed up in our sin that we need God himself to come as a man and die on the cross and be condemned for us. That that's our only hope. And without God coming down in our place to do something for us, there is no hope. Um, but through Christ's blood, um, we're fully loved. We're fully accepted. We're brought back into to God's family and the assurance of his love. We're promised an inheritance. We're promised riches. We're, we're, we're promised his continuing love. We're promised that, that one day everything will be made right. And we're left constantly dependent on him. Because he can do it. He promises to do it. It's not so alluring. It's wonderful. Uh, it's satisfying the way that nothing else is satisfying. It's not alluring. 
Uh, it ends well. It ends in victory and, and perfection. First, we see the woman as alluring, and then we see uh, then we see the conspiring. Any of y'all get into uh, conspiracy theory stuff? It's it's kind of fun. It's kind of fascinating. Like, and the, the weird thing about it is the more you read stuff on conspiracy theories, the more they start to make sense, and then you start to worry about yourself. <laughs> but really, do we really know, you know uh, where the stuff for JFK was coming from? Or, seriously, I've got a friend who um, he is convinced, like he will fight you all day long if you want to argue with him. He is convinced that we never made it to the moon. The man has never set foot on the moon. Like, seriously, you and your dad, he would, like, sit down with you and talk all day long about all the different arguments for why it's not true, that it's the government and Hollywood conspiring together and all these things to, to happen, right? Um, um, uh, that, uh, you know, that you see the reasons for it. You know, think of the fear that would have hit the American people if the Russians had taken the moon first, right? Well, the fear that we get to call the others, the power and respect that we get as a country if we're, if we're the ones who, uh, who made it to the moon at first. And the question in any conspiracy is, is who's really behind this? Right? I see kind of what's going on. I see the events. But why is this happening? Who's, who's behind it? Right? It's, if it's Hollywood and the government for their purposes that, that are behind it, then watch out. Um, if it's space exploration, NASA, um, if it's really happening, then... And those are the motives that we can trust in. Um, so, so here, as it begins to talk about the beast, um, it's, it's sh we're shown who's behind the alluring woman. Um, who's behind the hot prostitute, if you will. Uh, the point of the woman riding on the red, the scarlet, seven-headed beast, they're conspiring uh, together. The seven-headed red uh, beast is behind it. He's supporting her. He's uh, lifting her up, conspiring, conspiring with her. Which is to say, behind the seductive allurements, uh, right? Behind the seductive allurements that seduce us away from Christ is, surprise, surprise, uh, the satanic beast. Uh, we've, we've met the beast earlier in, in chapter, uh, chapter 13, right? After we've been uh, shown the, the dragon, the red dragon, and then, uh, then he gives his authority uh, to the beast that rises up uh, from the sea. It's the same beast we've already seen. Seven, seven heads, ten horns. Uh, the beast is given power from Satan um, to exercise authority from Satan, to do his will, to oppress uh, any opposition. Um, and, and particularly, uh, a strong expression of, of the beast is in powerful kingdoms, right? You, you see that back in 13 and 14, um, and, and powerful kingdoms and states and nations are expressions of the beast, expressions of satanic uh, activity in that way, to, to uh, set up power and authority that we would worship and that would draw us away from Christ and oppress anything uh, that, that opposes it. Um, that's because of building on allusions to Daniel where the beast represents, where there was four different beasts representing four different kingdoms before, uh, before Christ would come. The same thing's being talked about here. So those national, those kingdom powers, right? Uh, other things too, but especially those kingdom powers. Well, what are those kingdom powers after? What are, what are they seeking? Um, right? People that you know that have power, what do they do with their power? They try to get whatever it is they want, right? Um, same thing here. They go after the alluring stuff that seems like it's going uh, to satisfy. 
uh, the, what the nations are after are wealth, prosperity, economic success, more power, more influence, uh, riches. Uh, they think the prostitute is hot. They're after her. They want her. They're sleeping with her. And whenever they can, they'll give her a ride anywhere she wants. Uh, they're after all those uh, seductive things. Um, now there's more in the passage uh, to do with. You see the way it talks about the, the beast who was and is not and is about to be uh, kind of uh, as this uh, substitute or counterfeiting uh, uh, of Christ and, and, and God who uh, was and is and is to come uh, just like the beast in 13 has, uh, has received a mortal wound but it's still, but it's still continuing, right? But, it, but it's still coming up there. There's, there's these kind of things. That the passage goes into uh, the, the, the seven heads, right? There are seven mountains. There are also uh, seven, seven kings. It goes into the ten horns that come up later. And people have done all kinds of different things with these. Um, it certainly gives a reference toward Rome. Rome's known as the city of, city of seven hills. Uh, but even apart from that, without a doubt, Rome is one of the expressions of the beast. Uh, and the Roman, the culture of the Roman Empire, uh, certainly uh, the, the woman was, was sitting there, right? Um, all the things that we want that Rome, the Roman culture uh, could, could offer. Um, but some say, okay, it's Rome, and then the, the kings, there are certain kings, I mean, can start to enumerate these different five, and all the constructions, like, they start to make sense, and then they don't make sense anymore. Like, way, you know, we kind of, if we, as long as we skip over this king, then there are seven by the time, and you're like, yeah, that didn't, that didn't really work. Um, some would say, okay, these are later world empires, and one of them's Rome, but then one of them's, you know, the papal state after that, the Holy Roman Empire, and all these different things that, ten kings that are, that are going to last. Um, and, and Things in history are expressions of it, um, right? But the visions are symbolic. They're symbolic of power and authority, the strength of the state, and it's happened many times. Uh, the, the heads are expressions of power. Mountains through, in Scripture are symbols of, of, of nations and, and its strength and its power. Uh, the same with the kings. Even the tens of it uh, combined together in this. Uh, conspiring together with the things that allure us, um, <coughs> To, uh, to bring this opposition, to bring Satan's uh, purposes. So my, my question to you is, do you think of, uh, you think of seduction as, as satanic? Uh, I think you should. Uh, there's places in Scripture, I want to be careful, there's places where Scripture talks about God alluring us uh, to himself. Uh, Hosea talks about us being a prostitute and God uh, alluring us uh, back to himself, his, his love coming after her. So I want to be careful there. Um, <coughs> But the beast represents like the satanic power uh, in its uh, satanic expressions of, of power and authority to oppress and to require you to conform or that we want to worship that power. But do you realize that Satan also looks sexy? Looks appealing. Looks like, uh, looks like what, we, what we want. And if we don't think he looks like what we want, then he'll find something else that is what we want and use that, use that against us. Scripture says that he's prowling around like a roaring lion, uh, seeking someone to devour. And for us to be on our guard against the allurements, on guard against the conspiracy of where those allurements are coming from. Um, if you were told the piece of jewelry that you want so much and feel like will make you uh, more beautiful is from Satan, you'd be like, okay, I'm not going to buy it then, right? Um, not saying that pieces of jewelry is from Satan, but you, but you get to say, why are we, what's my attraction in this and where is it coming from? Is it something to lead me away from Christ because that's what Satan's work is about? 
passage given for us to, for us to see the, uh, the alluring, uh, the conspiring, and then thirdly, uh, the destroying or being uh, destroyed. Um, right? How do, how do things end up for the hot prostitute? How do they end up uh, uh, for, the, for the beast and before that to the beast? Um, really, all of this is part of a war against Jesus. Uh, their, their power comes together, united uh, against Jesus, against the Lamb. At the end of the chapter, uh, they, they've all handed their power and authority over to the beast, the satanic uh, expression, uh, to make war on the Lamb, gathered together against him. It's the, it's the last battle. Right? I read about it in 16, was given a view of the same thing as we talked about Armageddon. Later passages will come back to, to talk about this a little bit more. It's the, it's the last battle. Um, but do you realize this in the things that, that attract you um, and the way that you're pursuing them, that it's aligning you against Jesus? Um, it's where the pastor's calling us to see where these things go. I know we, we don't realize that. That's why we need the book of Revelation to, to help us for the mystery to be told to us, for us to see where these things are going. Um, and I think it's amazing how this battle is told, right? It's talked about the beast, the seven heads, the ten heads, and they're conspiring together to give their authority uh, to, 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 to the beast uh, to make war on the Lamb, right? Um, Revelation is, a, is an epic book. It's presenting all the drama to bring it out on full scale for us to get the sense of it, right? Um, where's the drama here? This is, this is awesome. Uh, they'll make war on the Lamb... And there's no, there's no like suspense build up of how is this battle going to go and who's going to win or how long will it be, be fought, right? Any kind of typical, if you're, if you're going to tell the battle story, you've got to bring all that out, right? There's no suspense in that. Why? Story's well told. So you get the point. There's no suspense about who's going to win that battle. Uh, they'll make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them uh, because he is the lord of lords and, and king of kings. Uh, there's, I have to guess how that one's gonna how that one's gonna come out. The beast is conquered; he never stands a chance. Uh, the war's already been won. Uh, Satan's head was already crushed uh, when Christ was raised from the dead, victorious over the grave, uh, delivering the death blow uh, to Satan. Um, the battles are still being fought, expressing that. The last battle's still yet to come, but the war's over. And the last battle will simply prove that finally, Satan defeated. Um, and then uh, the beasts, the horns, they turn against the woman to murder her and devour her. Um, pictures of uh, the woman tells us the, of the many waters, right, uh, that the, the she's seated on, the peoples, the multitudes, nations, and languages uh, that are under her influence. They're drunk with her wine and allurements. Uh, and it's sad to us because when we hear Revelation say peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, um, those are the same sets of words that are used at other times to describe uh, people who, have, who are worshiping the Lamb. Uh, people from, from all nations and tribes and, and tongues coming before Jesus, receiving the gospel to worship Him. Uh, but here, many having been uh, seduced away by the allurements, uh, but we long for people to know uh, the gospel of Christ. Um, but the, but the, the beast and the, the, the ten horns, they turn against her, they murder her, they devour her flesh and burn her. Um, I'm thinking, why, do they, why would they do that? And it's, it's odd, right? I mean, here, here they've been conspiring uh, together. Why would, they, why would they do this? And what we're told is, is God's put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. 
other satanic agents, whatever. Um, he's making them do uh, his will until the words of God are fulfilled. Um, uh, and maybe uh, there also, I think, just some uh, picture of how our idols destroy us. Um, they've, put, they've put all this in the allurements of what that will offer, but once they're defeated, what do they, what do they think of her now? Um, they can see uh, how it's killed, right? If you're, if you're vain and you make beauty uh, your idol, you begin to worship that and you begin to follow that and you set up uh, all these things for you of what it means to be beautiful and what you have to do to make yourself more beautiful. How many hours you have to spend at the gym, of how little food that you can eat, if you're worshiping the God of, God of thinness or the God of strong muscles or, or whatever it is, right? All the different vitamins you have to take to get the image that you want and it consumes your life. Um, and instead of bringing that satisfaction, it crushes you. Uh, you're weighed down with the insecurity of whether or not you're that thing that you wanted to be able to worship. You're beat down by it. Or success, right? I mean, when's, when's success ever enough? Um, you get one thing, it opens up the possibilities for more things, for more ways to climb, to climb ahead, to climb ahead on some other ladder, to climb ahead on some other ladder, get respect from even the higher people, and then take some other position uh, on top of that, or have other neighbors uh, appreciate you in the way that, way that you do things and things that you can step up to, right? As you ignore people in your life, ignore other situations in your life, as you're seduced away from Christ, and, and where does it end up? All that pursuit of success. As you look back on your life crushed, broken by it, always having tried to be good enough and never, never feeling satisfied. Um, who was the what was Rockefeller or some um, some uh, uh, rich tycoon of an earlier era asked, asked about money? Who's maybe one of the richest men alive at the time? And someone asked him, uh, you know, there, how much money is enough? Um, and his answer was, one more dollar. Right? There's always one more dollar. Uh, and it crushes as this woman is delivered here. Uh, satanic allurements and power ultimately uh, destroy, uh, destroy themselves, but ultimately are destroyed by Christ. You see the beast. Uh, and again, the contrast with the gospel. This feels like it's going to be victory and success, but ends up in destruction. The gospel feels like it's destroying. It gives satisfaction. It feels, uh, feels like yourself being destroyed to admit your sin, to admit your guilt, to admit, admit your lack of power uh, to do good, and that you deserve death and God's judgment or to drink the wine of the fury of his wrath. That feels like destruction. In some ways it's true. Our old self being destroyed, being put to death, being crucified with Christ in order that he can raise us up to a newness of life. Forgiven, loved in him, uh, raised to victory uh, with Christ that ends in satisfaction, ends in perfect fulfillment uh, forever. What do you find satisfying for your life now? What do you find satisfying? What do you think that you'll find satisfying? What are you resting in? Where are you pursuing what's driving you? Um, many things that can offer some satisfaction. Uh, and some of them are good. Many things that can seduce you away from Christ and away from the gospel. Are you pursuing Christ and the death he offers in him and the resurrection that he offers in him? Uh, as what satisfies. Uh, Christ alone uh, provides all that we need and satisfies fully.